go to CEOs and ask them what got them where they are. It's not their MBA. It's not their Ivy League degree. The majority of them would actually tell you that it's from some person who mentored them and invested in them along the way. Over 90% of them would tell you that. That's a part of the science. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast focused on blending research and practical advice to help today's HR, talent, and learning leaders improve business outcomes. Let's welcome your host, Ben Eubanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is Ben Eubanks, your host, and so glad to have you here. Man, you know, one of the things that I get to do that I enjoy, but it's also a little bit tough, a little stressful, is speaking. I get to travel around, get to speak at a lot of events, and, I mean, probably 30 times this last year, I would guess, so quite a lot. One of the things that I rarely see, though, is a standing ovation from an audience. And this fall, I was speaking at a conference, at a learning and leadership development conference, and one of the gentlemen I met at the event, we just happened to sit down together, we're, we're chatting a little bit, and he was the closing speaker for the, for the event. And the end of the day, you know, everybody's tired, everybody's kind of worn out, and he gets up there and speaks from the heart, shares his story, and wraps up, and the audience is on their feet, clapping, and I'm just thrilled and amazed and really enjoyed it. So, as usual, I'm like, I've got to have this guy on. I've got to have a, have a conversation with him. So he is here today. We're going to talk to Chevy Cook. Um, he has, I was told him his resume is so long, I can't even begin to recite it all. But I'll give, let him, when I bring him on in a second, tell us about some of his accomplishments, what he does day to day. And uh, why don't we go ahead and jump in? Hey, Chevy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me today, Ben. Absolutely. So, Man, I, I meant what I said. I was really impressed seeing you speak. I see a lot of content throughout the year, and so it was a great session. Um, we'll talk about some of the principles, I think, today in the conversation. But to start us off, tell us who you are and what you do, because I know um, you've got quite a few irons in the fire. Yeah, so um, I, I usually kind of talk from this from the point of you know introducing my family first, because I, I think that's a priority in my life. So I'm a father first. And, and a husband. I have uh, two little kids, uh, Lola and London. They are 10 and 1. I'll let you guess which one was a surprise. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I have been together for 21 years, married for 13 of those. Um, and they all empower me to do everything else that I have going on. So I am an active duty major in the Army. I've been in for 16 years, 12 of those in the special operations community. Right now, I live in Boston on Hanscom Air Force Base because I attend Tufts University, and I'm a Ph.D. student in my second year studying human development. And probably the last thing relevant for right now is that I am the executive director of my own nonprofit. We started about five years ago, and the name of it is MilitaryMentors.org. Um, and I, I guess we can get into what Military Mentors is, and obviously I'm an open book, so we can talk about anything. Anything, absolutely. So, um, all right, so the thing that appealed to me, and before I go any further, I'm just going to say thank you for your service. I appreciate what you've done. Um, I, I got to hear some insights into the work you've done uh, in the in the session you led. got to hear some of those things that you, you had done, and the, the background, I'm connected to a lot of military because I'm based here in Huntsville, Alabama, which is – 
a big military town, and so um, we we appreciate every single person that has a role in that, whether it's the family, making sure that everything's taken care of on the home front, or are you doing what you do. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, let's. One of the things I want you to do is tell us about military mentors. Let's dig into that a little bit because you you seem busy enough. <laughs> if I if I asked your wife, she'd say yes. You know, uh, probably rein it in a little bit. You've got you've got full time role in the military. You're also a full time student. You're getting all these things done. But in addition to that, you decided, hey, I've I feel so strongly and passionately about this concept of, of mentoring, especially in the military, that you wanted to go and create a nonprofit. So tell me more about what the nonprofit does, what the role is, what the purpose is, those kind of things. Yeah, so um, so our militarymentors.org, its mission is to redefine the practice of leadership by refining the art and science of mentorship. And it's, uh, our vision is start a conversation, spark a transformation. So in order to do, to fulfill our mission, to fulfill our vision, we focus on three areas, conversation stretching, um, leader development, and leadership development. So conversation stretching is what we're doing right now, talking about a concept, um, hopefully moving it from point A to point B and being collaborative about uh, what the ideas in that conversation are. And most of our conversations are around uh, mentorship, obviously, and leader slash leadership development. I differentiate the two. We differentiate the two because we think leader development is the individual knowledge, skills, and abilities somebody brings to the table, while uh, we think leadership development focuses on the socio-emotional aspects of, of leading. Um, a great quote from Margaret Rioch, uh, way back in the day, organizational psychologist, said that if you are not being followed, you are thusly not a leader. So I think you need to, fo we, we try to focus, and I think others who are in the mentorship space and the learning and leader development space need to focus on both the leader and uh, the development of leadership. So um, that in a nutshell is, is who we are, um, and we can get a little bit more into what we do. Awesome. Um, one of the things that appealed to me, uh, you sent me over kind of a, a brief about about the organization, what you do, kind of how you do it. And one of the things that stuck with me, I was reading through and it said in the military and I guess probably in the civilian world, too, we use the words like teaching and coaching and mentoring almost interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. They have different purposes, different meanings, different uses at different times. And that was one of the things that kind of stuck with me is most of us just assume when someone says mentoring that it's the same kind of thing as other pieces, but it's really not, right? It is not. So we, you know, one person can embody all three roles. And I, I think that's why we confuse them so much is we see a person, you know, if a person is influential in our lives, we see them in a lot of different roles. Our parents can be at one time teachers, at one time coaches, at one time mentors, in addition to being parents. Uh, we, we can see people uh, in our lives from our church or, or other backgrounds that kind of fulfill all those roles. But in the military specifically, we tend to like use it as a verbal triplet is the kind of word I, I like to uh, throw out where they, you know, they use it uh, in a way leaders will say you need to teach, coach, mentor that person. Like all in one word, teach, coach, mentor is like smashed together, um, which just shows they confuse them. And it, we all know kind of in a common sense way what they mean. 
Everyone's seen a teacher in a classroom. To teach someone is to pass along subject matter expertise, but it's not necessarily reciprocal. We've all seen coaches on a sports field. Now, coaches don't necessarily have to play the game. There are good coaches who've, you know, never been, you know, there are good male coaches, for example, who've never played softball. They grew up playing baseball, right? Um, similar sport, but kind of different context. But all coaches need is a coaching methodology to pull the best talents out of somebody. A mentor, however, to me is kind of the apex of, of this kind of developmental relationship. A mentor is a long-term reciprocal relationship with somebody that has a lot of experience with a person who doesn't have a lot of experience. Now, I didn't say an older person with a younger person. I said a person of greater experience than a person with uh, lesser experience because they're trying to learn uh, from that mentor. And I say it's a personal, long-term, reciprocal relationship because that's exactly what it is. A mentor should be someone who's not in your life for a season. So I, I definitely like to differentiate those three. Um, and a lot of industries um, mix them up. Yeah. So one of the things you said earlier stuck with me, and I want you to go deeper on this because it's personally have I'm interested in it, but also I think it'd be an interesting kind of nuance to the conversation. I want you to talk about what makes what makes a good mentoring relationship kind of work, but through the lens of, you said earlier, the art and science of mentoring. You're, you're getting your PhD, so I have a sneaking suspicion that you have some insight into the science behind it, um, if I had to guess. right? You're spending your time honing that, honing those skills and those that, around that discipline. So I'd love to hear kind of the science, like what, what makes a good mentoring relationship, what data is out there maybe, or any evidence to support that, but also how does, how does the art piece of that weave in, because is it most things are not all one or all the other. There's usually a mix of the two, but I'd love to hear how both of those kind of play into a good mentoring relationship, if that makes sense. Sure. I, th I think um, more often than not, we, we know what good mentoring looks like and feels like, but it's, it's mostly from the art side. And the art is what you think it is. It's the, the subtle nuances, the, the connectivity between people. It's the bringing up of experiences and the, sh and the sharing of experiences as well. Um, going on a walk together uh, down the path of experience is the, is the art side. And it's the, you know, the feel good side of it as well. So we, we all know about the art. I, a lot of people, at least a lot of the, the, the spaces I walk into, don't necessarily know about the science. Not unless you're in a, a role in HR or something else where you're specifically focused on the science. And the science is pretty simple. Um, the science, uh, Kathy Cram is, is seen as the matriarch or um, of, uh, workplace mentorship, for example. She is here in Boston. She's uh, at Boston uh, College. Um, and she has like three, she came up with three components in the 80s of what uh, mentoring relationships should look like. And um, she would say that there's a, a career portion, there's a psychosocial portion, and then there's a role modeling portion or, or the three functions, for example. So the career function of mentorship, the science behind it, says that's the part of mentorship that's specifically focused on building somebody up along their path for their career, specifically talking about um, how you maneuver in your professional space. 
the psychosocial portion or function would focus on those kind of relational aspects. The am I am I doing the right thing? Uh, what's my marriage and family life outside of just a, a professional realm look like? Um, can you make me uh, feel good about who I am? That's the psychosocial component. The role modeling piece is exactly what you think it is. Um, a role model stepping into what well, a mentor stepping in into a role model um, function saying, hey, this is kind of how I would do it or this is how I have done it. And, and you can do the same. So that's a, a piece of the science. Kathy Cram. There's also um, a lot of centers out there. Our, um, our nonprofit is, is backed by a couple different institutions. One of them is a Center for Evidence-Based Mentoring, and it's led by Dr. Jean Rhodes. And there's tons of studies out there about the effects of mentorship across the spectrum, about, you know, if you were to go to CEOs and ask them what got them where they are, it's not their MBA, it's not their Ivy League degree. The majority of them would actually tell you that it's from some person who mentored them and invested in them along the way. Over 90% of them would tell you that. That's a part of the science. Um, there's another institute, the Center for Mentoring Excellence. Um, one of our advisory board members is Lisa Fain. Um, and she would tell you how important um, diversity and inclusion is and the science behind building better teams. We all have heard stuff like, um, more diverse teams are, are more uh, more successful, more likely to succeed, more likely to be connected. And that doesn't you know, that's not just in the business room. That's also in um, the mentoring field. Mentoring people who look like you obviously is an important uh, function of mentorship. But the science would tell you that if you were, say, doing group mentoring or peer mentoring across a a couple different uh, groups of people that that group should probably look different. You should, probably shouldn't be cloning or just looking for people who look like you. So I, I kind of pause there if, if that's okay. That's all right. I was going to say that I've got a couple of questions to ask you based on that. So one of them, the, the piece you just mentioned, like there's, there is so much data and there's more coming out. It seems like every day around the value of having a diverse team and the performance how it's better if they're diverse. And I'm reading a book right now. You'll appreciate it. I don't know if we talked about this or not when we met um, earlier this fall, but I'm reading a book now called Range. And it's really, really interesting because one of the concepts in the book is the more broad your skill set, you can be you can be really great in one area, but if you have broad interests, you're more likely to problem solve and be, be a better performer overall than someone that just goes really deep in one area and never, ever leaves the bounds of that single focus focus for them. And one of the stories the author tells in the book is about he about a, a scientist who went around traveling, a researcher who went traveling to different science teams to watch them as they work through problem solving exercises together. So once a week. You know, this this biology unit would sit down together and they'd all work through a problem. And then the, the next week he'd go sit in front of a bunch of chemists and watch them work through a problem. And what was interesting is in his research, he's watching all this and he's bound by confidentiality. So he can't tell any of them that he's watching the other ones. But he, he goes and sits down with this group and it's a group of 10 biologists and they're all sitting there trying to solve a problem and they are just banging their head against the wall. They're struggling and struggling. It takes him like two or three weeks to figure out how to overcome this hurdle. Well, the next week, 
he's sitting there with a group that has a chemist and a virologist and a biologist and a couple other different ologists, right? All the all the scientists in the room with a mix of experience, and someone throws out an, an answer almost immediately because they have this different perspective. And it came from something outside of the realm of biology, some other kind of experience they had. And it's like the hard part for me was I couldn't tell the other group that someone had already solved that problem. And they could just take that answer and go because I was bound by this. But the, the lesson, it was like super practical that having that diverse set of experiences, not just a diverse set of skin colors right, or genders, that's our outward appearance, and, but the actual diverse mental capabilities is what led to that. So. I love you that you pointed that one out because I've been I've been like itching to tell that story and I told it to everybody I've seen in person I think in the last week just because I read it and it was so like practical in our field. Um, but I think that's a great example of how diversity in a teen context or in a mentoring context leads to you getting better and more diverse perspectives on the world and you don't see every problem. You know, if you're a hammer, every problem's a nail you see problems through some different layers of perspective and probably can make better choices, better decisions long-term because of that. Yes, I, I, I completely agree with you. And earlier I mentioned how, you know, reciprocity in a mentorship relationship is very important. And think about what you can learn from somebody. Again, if, if you're the mentor with the experience, think about what you can learn from a protege who's not from your background or not from your same state or not even from your same industry. There's a great book out there called Athena Rising, and it's by Brad Johnson and Dave uh, Smith. And they talk about cross-gender mentoring, for example. And they talk about how hmm, the American population is just slightly, uh, you know, in, in favor, is slightly majority um, uh, women. Uh, but if you look at CEO roles and roles of leadership, you know, women are nowhere near uh, matching their demographics and saying that, you know, men in C-suite jobs and other males that are out there uh, leading need to look for uh, what they call Athenas, you know, rising young female leaders who are champions. Think about the experience of having a, a young female mentee or protege who is completely changing um, the way you look at things because you've all always been in a dominated male environment. Think about the reciprocity there. Think about the learning that can happen uh, for you. And then you add that to a team context uh, where everyone needs to win, like maybe the military where you're off in war and you need um, different ideas to come to a solution. That can be very um, powerful. Um, but I think people are scared of stuff like that. People are kind of scared about the art and the science and cross-gender stuff because, you know, innuendo and things like that. But at the end of the day, reciprocity and diversity is important. And, you know, at the very baseline, good mentorship, the recipe is in the actual relationship. I'm going to ask you something then. So I, I was talking to an executive, an HR executive, about a week ago, and we we're talking about diversity as a concept. And he said, you know, it's funny because it's not funny. Sorry, wrong word. He says, interesting because my, my leadership team, if I ask them, are we for diversity? Absolutely. Yes, we are on board. We believe in it. It's a good good idea for the business. But when it comes down, so on a macro level, it's good. It's, it's comfortable. But on a micro level, if you said, okay, I want you to start mentoring this this female rising leader in the company. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on a second. I'm not sure about that. So on a, on a micro level, it's almost uncomfortable. 
to be around to, to really prioritize diversity because it pushes us outside our comfort zones. So I want to ask you, I want to use that to tease into a question. You're, you're talking about reciprocity, like we can both get something from this relationship if, as, as a mentoring relationship. It's not just a one way. That's that's a coach, right? It's not just a one way path. It's, it's two way. Should it be totally comfortable or should there be moments where it might be a little bit uncomfortable because you might be pushing the other person and stretching them? I appreciate the uncomfortability of it. Um, I think it should be, there should be awkward moments. Um, um, I, you know, when I'm this, I think this is directly relatable. I have a daughter when I'm trying to, you know, talk to her about a difficult situation. Um, we talk about how she's the knife and I'm the whetstone, right? My job is to create a little bit of friction there. Um, so she can, so I can hone her, her skill, hone her ability, hone the knife is something we talk about. That's no different when it comes to these maybe cross gender, uh, mentor relationships or, or they could be cross, you know, cross socioeconomic status or cross industry. You should feel a little bit of a discomfort. I was told a great story uh, a while ago by a good friend of mine. Um, uh, her name is Grace. And uh, Grace uh, was a classmate of mine at West Point, and she was um, the first captain, which is, you know, she's a, she was the cadet in charge of the entire Corps of Cadets, um, which is a pretty prestigious position. This is the cadet that's, you know, talking to senators and congressmen and other foreign delegates when they come to the academy as the leader of all the students. And I um, happened to be a friend of hers at the time that she was the first captain and was on the staff with her um, up there um, at the leadership of the cadets. But I, and I always noticed that she was nervous. And we got out into the Army, and we happened to deploy at the same time. So we were in Iraq, and we would have these, um, when we could, we have lunches that just kind of get through those you know, long, arduous times. And I noticed she was nervous over there, too. And I was like, Grace how like you were the first captain you're like one of the best leaders i know why are you always nervous and she kind of coined this phrase about needed nervousness if she said if you ever in a place of comfort where everything is just kosher and fine then you're probably overlooking things you're probably not growing you're probably not developing and that lesson has stuck with me a long time and i've seen it in mentor relationships if if everything is hunky-dory, kosher, everything's fine, exuberant, then there's no growth happening. And growth, because it's reciprocal, is, is supposed to happen on both ends of the spectrum. So, yeah, the relationship should be a little bumpy, a little rocky, so folks can grow. It's one of those things where you hear it, all, again, you hear it all the time, but it, it, I love that phrase, needed nervousness, on her behalf, right? She's, she's like, I'm trying to keep the edge. Because that's making making me sharper. That's making sure making sure I don't miss something important. So, interesting, interesting. Wow. Okay. So I have grilled you on some of the mentoring pieces of this. I mean, again, this is you're the expert here. I love like getting to dig really deep into this and understand because every time I think like I've got a hard question for you, you you've got a good answer for it. So, um, that's okay. That's okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit. I think. I would say that everything you've talked about here in my head, I imagine this conversation being about like specific mentoring in the military. And I was going to ask you to transition, like, does it still apply outside of that? But I think everything you've said so far applies outside of that space. 
there's not been anything right now that's, that's limited to just operating the military. Um, every, every piece of this from needing a little bit of discomfort to seeing it as an art and a science, looking for, looking for ways to build these relationships through diversity. I think all those things apply in a corporate context as well. Is there anything like specific nuance that you think might, might, might I've overlooked that might also be like a good kind of practical lesson for someone that's thinking about doing more intentional mentoring or creating more mentoring within their organization? So, yes, I, I, I would, um, part of the science, and you saw me speak to this on the stage, there's, you know, this idea of relational developmental systems where um, the individual cannot be stricken from the context, right? There's a, there's a bi-directional arrow between the individual and the context if you're just looking at them as words, right? It's a, you know, a, a, again, we come back to reciprocity. So I think um, while all of the, you know, all the science of, of mentorship, all the art would relate in a, in a wide variety of, of places, I think context does matter. So I think finding the subtle nuances of the context is where you actually will make your money. So um, I get to I get the, the great privilege to mentor people in a lot of different spaces not just people who wear a uniform. And I get to be mentored as well by um, people who are outside of um, the military space, for example, but them understanding the context through which they're passing their lessons to me is important. So um, when you tell stories, for example, to stay on the art side of it, when you would tell a story, if you're just telling a story that only relates to the business or industry you're in, as as a CEO or whatever, you know, whatever you may be doing as a lawyer, um, if you're always telling the same story and you're not kind of trying to find that subtle context that where it might be relatable to the other person, um, I think you might be missing something. And if you're um, trying to, you know, maybe even come up with a more formalized or structured mentorship program for your industry, for your office, for your organization, and you're not taking into uh, into account those kind of subtle group dynamics that you guys have going on. Like, it's, it's super cool to, to go out and, and do a ropes course, right? Do something very physically challenging to begin every day or, or to, to start this mentor program. But if, um, if you're working in an industry where um, that's kind of not uh, the thing that folks do, or you have a lot of people who might um, have, uh, you know, some handicaps or something, something physically holding them back. That wouldn't be the thing to do for them um, to really build that structure, build that organization. So I think context is extremely important to take into account every single time you sit down to the, what we'll call, you know, the table of mentorship. Love it. Okay. I'm going to ask you, we're going to, I'm going to try to wrap this all together in a, in a big package because this, I could keep asking you questions all day long, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. So let's say you're sitting down face to face with, an, with a business leader, an HR leader, and they're saying, hey, Chevy, we want to get better at mentoring. Um, like you've, you've given lots of pieces of advice today. Is there one thing you want to reiterate? Like this is the thing you need to, you need to remember or anything you didn't touch on that you think, oh, this is, this is another great tip to, to be successful at that, what what advice would you give that person? 
So I, I would give them a little piece of advice and I would give them a story, too. So the, the advice would be I would harp on the, you know, the subtle differences between leader development and leadership development and understanding that, you know, you need to focus on building up the individual knowledge, skills and abilities of a person from a leader context and that you need to build them up to be uh, from a social emotional component, too. So those two components are extremely uh, important. The other important piece there is you know, defining the difference between teaching, coaching and mentoring and understanding how important those long term um, uh, reciprocal relationships are for mentorship to even work. But then I will give them a story um, about a, a, a own, my one of my own mentoring relationships that I actually didn't know what I was doing at first. And then it came to be something else. So I would tell them about Danny. So um, when I was a when I was a Young and at West Point, going back home to South Carolina to talk to my high school, I came across this kid named Danny. And Danny, um, you know, was in ROTC at the time and said, hey, you're talking to us about this great school you go to. I want to do the same thing. Um, Danny, uh, I was in a West Point uniform. Danny um, uh, was, you know, dressed like a local high schooler at the time and might might have had some gold teeth in his mouth and stuff like that and uh, didn't necessarily look like he could fit the West Point context. So I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if West Point's right for you, brother. Um, and he was like, no, no, I, re I really do. I want to do it. I want to be serious. And, you know, over the I said, hey, let's keep in touch. Over the next couple of years, he actually got super serious about his grades and everything else lining up his path to West Point. Then before he graduated high school, his um, his house burned down and his father died. Um, and he was like, I'm you know, this West Point thing is is done. I'm uh, I need to stay home. I don't need to go to college. I need to take care of my mom. Um, and maybe I need to um, make money a little quicker with air quotes around it. OK, so, every, you know, everybody believed in Danny, his um you know, his parents, his teachers, uh, I reached out to a couple different people. They said, hey, talk to this kid. He has a future. Um, get him out of these circumstances. So we, we continued the discussion. And lo and behold, you know, Danny decided to continue. So Danny goes to West Point. Danny um, graduates. Danny joins the Army. Um, it becomes an infantryman, commands in one, uh, becomes a company commander in one of the most historic uh, divisions in our military, which is the 82nd Airborne Division, has been known since World War II. Um, and I also saw Danny go off to get a nominative uh, MBA uh, a couple of years ago. One of the greatest moments of my life, uh, for sure, um, have been my kids, you know, being born and my wife being born. But one that's kind of up there is walking on that field and watching Danny take command of that company. Now, rewind a whole way back. I had no clue when this kid walked up to me what our futures will look like. Right. You know, you can you, you can see stats on mentorship and all that stuff. But when you're young, like I was and starting in this field or if you're out there in the industry and you don't know the science, and you don't know the art and you're just kind of interacting with folks and trying to make them uh, get to a better place. You actually don't know where it's going. Um, but. On occasion, like I did with Danny, um, you see these ginormous leaps and bounds for people. 
And I would say um, if, if there's somebody out there trying to start a mentor program or, or wanting to get deeper into mentorship, think about that story of, of Danny and I's relationship, who, I mean, we're best friends today um, because he might have not looked the right part right at the time at the beginning of the story. You know, I might have been like, uh, I don't know if this relationship is worth it. But he asked me for more time. So I gave it to him prior to even knowing the art and the science of this stuff. And Danny today is, you know, a major in the army, just like I am, a very successful individual, married and all of that stuff, too. So you never know where it's going, um, but it's worth the investment. It's kind of like, you know, back in the 80s, if people had really knew where Apple was going, if they had put some money down, um, they might be all right. So we got to do the same thing with people. We got we don't know where it's going. You just kind of got to play the odds a little bit, but you should you should invest. It's absolutely worth it. That reminds me of the Bill Gates quote. We always overestimate what we can do in the next two years and underestimate what we can do in the next 10 years. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great it's a great reminder of that one for sure. So you mentioned the 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 website for the uh, nonprofit earlier. Um, but if someone wants to connect, what's the best way to do that? Militarymentors.org. I'll make sure and get that in the show notes. But um, what about connect with you on LinkedIn? Is there another way to do that as well? Yeah, so militarymentors.org, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can find me personally. I'm the only Chaveso cook on the planet, C-H-A-V-E-S-O dot cook. I'm the only one on the planet, so you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Um, my email is Chevy, like the car, at militarymentors.org as well. If you go to the site, um, you can sign up for the site and you can sign up to be a mentor or a protege and you can look at the resources we have. But also there's a pop up that comes on the site and we have a monthly newsletter that comes out with this art, with this science um, stuff. So if you don't necessarily want to search for it, I'll send it to you if you sign up for the newsletter. All right. Good stuff. Chevy, this has been Number one, it's been fun. It's just been pure fun for me, but it's also been an honor talking to you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. This is uh, always a blessing to uh, speak with you and to have opportunities like this to just talk about something obviously I'm uh, passionate about, but hopefully am uh, walking in purpose as well. Excellent. Awesome. Everybody else, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Um, all the notes, all the, all the good stuff will be in the show notes. If you want to reach out and connect, learn more about the work they're doing there, the good work, the mission, everything else. I'm just, just really excited to be connected with them and to know to know this gentleman here. Um, to everybody else, we'll catch you next time. This is We're Only Human. Thank you. Thank you for listening to We're Only Human. Please take a moment to share this episode with another HR leader who might see it as a valuable resource in their daily work. For more information about the podcast and to see all our show archives, please visit upstarthr.com.